Good morning. My name is Mark Bates, one of the pastors here, and uh, my privilege to open up uh, God's Word to you today. We are in a year-long study of prayer, and one of the reasons, there are many reasons we pray, but in this passage we see that one of the reasons we pray is that we groan. We, we live in a world of, of groaning. Uh, groaning is not the same thing as grumbling. Grumbling is complaining, uh, and we do a lot of grumbling, but that's not what this is about. It's, it's about our groanings. Uh, we groan because things are not right. Groaning is that um, inarticulate, wordless vocalization that comes out in response to the, the pain and the agony and sometimes just the missingness, if you might say, of, uh, of the life that we live. It's, uh, there's always a sense that life isn't quite what it ought to be. And sometimes we scream in agony in our groaning, and sometimes it's more of just a sigh. Well, in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about groaning, and we learn that as we groan, we have a God who not only listens to our groans, but he actually groans with us. And he not only groans with us, but he hears our groans, and one day he'll take away our groaning as well. So we're just going to dive right in. Three, Paul used the word groaning three different times, and the first time he uses the word groaning, uh, I believe is in verse 22. Keep your Bibles open to Romans uh, chapter 8, and we're going to look through not just the verses we read, but in Romans uh, verse 32, we see that creation groans. All creation groans. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Our world is a groaning world. Our world was made beautiful, and yet it is broken. It is beautiful. You see that on a crisp fall day like today. Isn't that great? You wake up, and it is actually chill in the air, and, uh, and winter is coming. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but so is ski season, so there. Uh, and, um, and, and it's a beautiful day, but then you also see all of the brokenness, all the pain. I just spent uh, part of my morning here talking with many of you who have many, many things that you're groaning about. Not grumbling, some might be, but groaning because, because it's broken. We live in a world that's broken. Uh, we see that the planet has been subjected to futility ever since sin entered the world. The beauty of this world has been subjected to futility, and we see that. We, we have a, a place now in a world now where in the Midwest they're experiencing drought, in Houston they're experiencing flooding. We live in a world where 800,000 children under the age of five die every year because they don't have access to clean water. We live in a world that's where some days in Beijing, it is like if you walk around Beijing, it's like smoking a pack of contaminated cigarettes every single day. We live in a world that is beautiful, but it is terribly broken. And so all creation, Paul says, says groans uh, like a woman in the pains of childbirth. Now, I remember the birth of my three children, and I have never been so happy to be a man. Uh, just the, 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 the I, I could not look, I could not watch. You now, people say, isn't it beautiful? No, it is not. Uh, it is, it is uh, the agony, the, the, the pain that you're, you're watching. And, and sometimes our, our, our groaning is like that. It's like, like the, the screams of pain and agony. It's, uh, you, you experience that when, when a loved one dies, uh, when a, a child rebels. When, when a friend gets divorced, your, your heart 
aches at those points and it's, and it's a groaning that's too deep for words. And, and the most words you can get out at times are like what King David says to God. He says, how long, O Lord, how long? Those, those are cries of groaning. Other times our groanings are, are more like a sigh, a, a longing. You know, everything we do is tainted by the sense of temporality and, and insufficiency. And so, have you ever had this experience? Maybe it's just me, and you can tell me I need help, and, and I do. But when I'm on vacation, I start counting down the days till vacation's over. Do you do that? Isn't that sick? You know? I'm like, oh no, I've only got three more days. The next day you wake up, oh no, I only have two more. Oh no, oh no, this is the last day. And you're already, the last day you're already thinking about the work you have, have uh, when you get back or, or the experience you have when you have the family home for Christmas. I love that. My, my girls are scattered all over the country. And then they come home and I keep thinking, but they're gonna leave. They're gonna leave. In a couple of days, all I'll have is dishes and no kids. And, and, and it, it, there's a sense of, even in those moments of joy, it's like there's this song in a minor key always playing in the background. And at some moments, that song is drowned out by the joy and the happiness and the pleasure, but it's always there. At other moments, that song just screams loudly at us. We have a sense of, of longing even in those moments of joy. It's what uh, C.S. Lewis uses this German word, if I can pronounce it right, Zengzucht. Uh, he said there's no English word for the equivalent. It's, uh, it's this the sense of nostalgia he would describe for the future, a longing for a city where we have not been, a longing for a home where we have not been. It is the, uh, it is the, the scent of the flower is all we get in this life. We don't get the flower itself. And there's always this sense of longing that there's something, there's something missing. And we experience that groaning because we live in a broken world that has been broken by sin in the fall. And so, so we groan, and not only do we groan, but, but we find that in the creation groans, but we still groan, Paul says, even after uh, we become Christians. This groaning does not go away, we still groan. Sometimes Christianity is presented to other people as sort of this panacea. It says, now, if you become a Christian, then, then you're gonna find such joy in your life, all your pain is going to go away. You are going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And, and if you're not healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything's not going well enough, you know, the problem is you don't have enough faith. If you just pray the prayer of faith, if you would just believe enough, then, then God's gonna bless you and everything's gonna go well. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's a, that sort of health and wealth gospel is not a gospel. It is not good news because it's not true. Uh, the Bible teaches that we groan. Look at verse 23. It says, creation groans, and then he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. And here Paul says that even those who are Christians, who've already been born again, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That is, that is, you have the Holy Spirit living in you that testifies that you are a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. You have God's love for you. But just as creation groans in the agony of childbirth, we groan in the agony of childbirth. And he explains why. He says, because we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now you say, well, I thought we were saved. Well, the Bible says as Christians we are saved and we are being saved and we will be saved. That our salvation is not yet complete. When a person uh, receives the Spirit, when a person is born again, when a person becomes a Christian, you become at that moment a new creation. You're a child of God, loved of God, and you have that love of God. 
but we still live in this broken world. And we still live in these broken bodies. And things are not yet complete. When God's act of salvation, he's not simply saving spirits from heaven. He is saving you as a whole person. As a human being, you're not a spirit going around in a, in a, in a, in a shell, in, a, in something of this sort. You are body and soul. And God's act of salvation is to save us body and soul. And so we're still longing. We're still longing for the, for the day of salvation. We're longing for that day when our, our bodies will rise again and our bodies will be made complete and, and the pain and uh, disease will no longer be there. Uh, one, one day when Jesus returns, if you're in Christ, you'll be raised, you'll be made new. Your knees will not ache. Your back will not hurt when you bend over. If you're in a wheelchair, you're gonna dance. If you cannot see, you will be able to see the beauty of a renewed and made new world. If you cannot hear, your hearing will be restored and you will sing with the angels. And we are gonna be made new and complete, body and soul, and the world is gonna be made new and complete. Uh, it's, it's gonna be a world without pain, without suffering, where uh, it's gonna be no longer subject to decay. There's not gonna be floods and there won't be fires. There won't be mosquitoes. Or at least if they're there, they'll leave you alone, right? Uh, we're going to have the, uh, the desert, the Bible says, will bloom. The, 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 the hills will drip with aged wine. Uh, we will celebrate and we will enjoy because the world will be made new. But right now, it's not that way. And, and it is not wrong for us to groan because it's not that way. This is not how it's supposed to be. And so we groan and we're, we're saying, Lord, how long do you fix it? How long to the redemption of this body? I'm so ready for the redemption of this body. I'm ready for this world to be made new. And so we groan for that. But just like the woman who groans in childbirth, even when the pain is great, there's still that expectation of joy. The pain gives birth to a child. The pain will one day end. And our groanings one day will be satisfied in Christ as well. So not only does creation groan, Paul says in verse 22, not only do we groan with creation, verse 23, we see that in verse 26, the Holy Spirit groans as well. The Holy Spirit groans as well. Now in verse 26, we're told that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The reason we're groaning is we're in a world that is broken, we're in bodies that are broken, we're in souls that are broken, we, we are broken and we cannot fix this. And we groan because we long for things to be made right. It says we groan because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so our groaning is an acknowledgement that we are weak that things are beyond our ability, that we, have, we are unable to fix things, we're unable to do anything about what is wrong with the world and what is wrong with us, and we need help. And so the Spirit is the one who comes to the aid of us in our weakness. Uh, and so we find that as we groan, uh, we are not abandoned by God, but that God actually hears our groaning and responds to it. Now, if you are a Christian, uh, then you have the Holy Spirit. If, if uh, you cannot be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit, the reason we know this is because in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says that no one is able to say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so, in other words, for you to even become a Christian, for you to have your faith in Christ at all, 
before you could even believe, the Holy Spirit had to work in your heart to open your eyes to the beauty and glory of God and enable you to say, Jesus is Lord. Now, when Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit, he doesn't simply mean so no one can say those words because anyone can utter those words. What he means is in their heart. No one can acknowledge Christ as Lord in their heart without the Holy Spirit at work. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says that all Christians are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Uh, You don't have to wait for a second blessing. There's no extra step you have to take. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who who unites you to Christ. Now, Now think about this. If the Holy Spirit is in you, and remember, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, right? There's one God, great mystery, one God, who exists in three persons. These three persons are same in substance, equal in power and glory. Uh, and that means they are not uh, uh, subordinate eternally to one another. They all have one will. They're all on the same page. There's just one God. And so the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, then is also unites you to Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus. That means you're in such vital union with Jesus that everything that Jesus has is now yours, and all that is yours is now his. You've become into that vital of a union. Uh, A number of years ago, do you remember a golfer, some of you will, a golfer named Payne Stewart? You may not remember his golf game, you'll remember his golf attire, right? He's the guy who wore the flat hat, the knickers, uh, that sort of thing. Well, Payne Stewart uh, was killed tragically in a plane crash, Also in that plane crash was his agent, a man named Robert Fraley. Robert Fraley uh, had uh, been a quarterback at the University of Alabama. After that, he went on to become a very successful sports agent, representing Bill Cowers, Bill Parcells, Oral Hersheiser, Payne Stewart, a whole bunch of people. Uh, Robert Fraley dies. He leaves behind a wife named Dixie, who, of course, is from Alabama, right? And so he leaves behind a wife, Dixie. Dixie, uh, of course has no need for money. She was married to Robert Fraley, uh, and they had just tons of money, and so she didn't need to go to work, so she decides to take classes at Reform Seminary. And uh, while she's taking classes at Reform Seminary, there's this young man who's also taking classes, but he's a typical seminary student. And what I mean by that is he lives in a dumpy apartment. I saw his apartment. It was a dumpy apartment. Uh, he drives an old beater car that you think is held together with duct tape and, uh, and a few rubber bands, and, and he reads philosophy because he's a seminary student. Dixie and Gray strike up a friendship. Dixie and Gray begin to date. Dixie and Gray get married. Now imagine you're this man. You've been living in this dumpy apartment you get married, he moves into the most exclusive gated community in Orlando. He's neighbors with Annika Sorenstam, with uh, Lou Holtz. All these famous golfers are in this neighborhood. I, you know, I wondered what he did with his old furniture. My, my guess is he burned it um, because it was... Here's a guy. What did he do? He, he's driving a big car, living in the big house at the biggest golf course in the neighborhood. What did he do? He married a rich widow. That's what he did. He, he didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He married it. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus so that everything that is his is now yours. You get the big house. You get the big car. 
All of his righteousness is now your righteousness. All of your sin has now become his sin. His body becomes your body. And so when Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin, you can say rightly, I have died to sin because I'm united to Christ and that body is my body and that body paid the penalty for sin and therefore I paid the penalty for sin. Not that I did it on my own. I did nothing on my own. All I did was marry Jesus. And the Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus, which means you're now robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's, it's all by faith. It's all, it's all a gift that we receive through the union of Christ. The Holy Spirit does that for us. He, he gives to us all the benefits of Christ's life and death and resurrection. But, but that's not all. It doesn't stop there. It gets even better. Uh, look down at verse 14 of chapter 8. The Spirit not only changes your status from sinner to saint, he also changes your relationship from orphan to son. So verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So here's the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit takes us who were once alienated from God, orphans, slaves, and he adopts us into the family of God. And by the way, adoption does not mean we become stepchildren of the family of God. In the ancient Near East, you could renounce the parental rights to your natural-born children, but once you adopted a child, you could never renounce them. That, that, that was irrevocable. And so when God says, we have now been adopted as sons, and by the way, he used the word sons, and it talks about the spirit of sonship, is so that you would see the equality of men and women in this that women receive the the inheritance just as much as men. So that's why they're both called sons in this passage. And so we are adopted in the family of God, and so we now have this new relationship with God. Instead of just him being simply our king and our Lord, he is now our Abba Father, That, that, that word of intimacy, that we can come to him as one whom we know loves and adore us. Have you ever seen a three-year-old go into a room and they look for their dad and they just, the three-year-old just assumes, I'm the cutest thing on the planet. I am adored more than anything else. The three-year-old doesn't walk in to their, their father or a grandfather or anyone like that and think, I wonder if they like me. They just go, here I am. Here I am. Aren't I adorable? And that's how God looks at us. That's what the word Abba means. And it's not because we're adorable because we've made ourselves adorable. Again, we're adorable in Christ. We have his righteousness. And so God delights in us. So so when we're groaning, now think about this. Back to the groaning. We're groaning because this world is broken. We're groaning because we are broken. We're groaning because there's so much to groan about. And, And God hears that groan. And he doesn't hear it as this impersonal God or king or judge sitting up there going, huh, suck it up, buttercup. He hears it as a father. And when a father hears the groans of a child, his heart is, his heart is turned. A, a father cannot not, not be uh, melted by the heart, the groans of a child. Now, you may think then, uh, if that is true, then, then, why, um, then why do we groan at all? Why doesn't God just take away our groaning? And so, you know, why did, you know, if God loves me so much and he hears my groan, 
why is it still so painful? Well, uh, you know, there, there are many reasons. There are some parents who will do that. They'll, they'll, they'll take away a child's reasons for groaning. Uh, they are called helicopter parents. You've heard those? Helicopter parents are the ones kind of hover around. Uh, college professors will talk about this, the helicopter parent who calls the college professor to find out why their child got a bad grade in school. You know, if parents, in case you're wondering, bad idea. Just kind of want to throw that out there. Uh, you know, they're, they're just hovering over them all the time. Or there's a newer one that's gone to a new level. That's called lawnmower parents. The lawnmower parent is the one who goes down and mows away all the obstacles so their child will have this nice, smooth, easy life. They've been in the newspaper a lot, right, on the news. You know, Felicity Huffman, a uh, famous actress. Uh, she uh, did not want her child to have to suffer from going to a, a, a school lesser than she wanted her to go to. So she paid $15,000 to someone to, uh, to correct her daughter's SAT scores so that she could get into the right school. She is now, you know, just spent a, a few days in jail uh, over that. And you think, well, is that good parenting? She made her daughter's life easier? Well, no, it's terrible parenting. And she herself would acknowledge it. And her, and her own daughter says this was terrible parenting. Uh, because she's trying to smooth out the path so that there is no pain. And, uh, and that's you know, not always the best thing for a child. Here we see that God, as a father, uh, oftentimes allows pain into our life. But it always has a purpose. That's the purpose we see in verse 28, isn't it? We read that moments ago. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes people are so afraid to use this verse, they don't use this verse at all. And this verse is meant to give us comfort. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your groaning, we don't always know why that pain is there. But here's what we do know. We have a father who hears our groans. And he does not take delight in our suffering. He does not take joy in our pain. And if he's allowing this pain into our life, we know for a fact that it has a good purpose, that we can trust him. And so uh, oftentimes we'll, we'll, we'll say, well, Lord, I, 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 it'd, just be, it'd just be so much easier if you would just explain to me why I'm having to go through this. Have you ever tried to explain to a four-year-old why they have to get shots? Let me tell you about, you know, bacteria and viruses. And, you, know, you just say, kid, you're going to have to trust me on this one. You don't want polio, right? Uh, you're just going to have to trust me on this. It's, um, and, and, and because God says, I'm your father. I'm not asking you to trust the reasons that I give to you and that you can understand. I'm asking you to trust me. I am your father. And so we have that same promise later on in the chapter. If God is so gracious that he would give us his own son, how will he not, along with his son, give us all things? You can trust him. We can trust him because he's given us his son. And so the Spirit enables us to cry to God as Father in full confidence that God loves us and is always working for our good. And not only that, but then the Spirit joins us in crying. Again, verse 26, we see that word groan again. Just as creation groans and just as we groan, the Holy Spirit groans. And he groans uh, 
uh, these inarticulate in groanings, wordless groanings, but that are that is too deep for words. Uh, the, the agonizing cry as God enters into our pain. When we pray and we pour out our hearts to God, here's the good news. You're not praying alone. When you pray and you're, you're there and you're, you're saying, God, help, the Holy Spirit is crying out with you. One of the reasons we can pray with full assurance and faith is because God is also crying out on our behalf. The Holy Spirit himself is groaning. He's coming to us and he's, and he's praying for us. And he says he's interceding for us uh, with, with groanings too deep for words. And he cries out on our behalf with deep groanings. And that's because Paul says we don't always know how we ought to pray. Our, our prayers are often imperfect and misguided. Uh, sometimes we have, um, we have no idea what we should ask for. We don't know what's going to satisfy our groanings. You ever been that way? You've been praying and go, God, I don't even know what to ask you to do. I just need you to do something, right? And, 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 and so we, we, we cry out, because, and the Holy Spirit says, I know what we need to do. I know what we need to do. And he cries out for us because we don't know what to pray. Other times we pray and we got, God, here's what I want you to do. And the Holy Spirit says, let's not do that. Because the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf because we don't know how, know how we ought to pray. Uh, we don't always know what we, we want uh, and what we need. So verse 27 says that the Holy Spirit not only, only prays, uh, doesn't simply pray what we want, but he prays according to God's will. So the Holy Spirit's always going to pray for you according to God's will. Now here's the question that I asked myself as I read that. What if God's will is something different from my will? What if, um, if God wants something for me, but that's not what I want? Because right now I'm praying and I know what I want, right? I want this. I want this problem to be solved today. That's what I want. And so I want God to answer my will. I don't want the Spirit to pray according to God's will. And so uh, what's, isn't it a problem? Um, you know, what if God's will for me is something I don't want? Well, here's the, actually it's good news. God's will is probably something you don't want. But if you knew everything that knew that God knows, you would want that. Because God knows more than you do. Every good father wants more for the child than the child wants for herself. Every good father wants more for their children than the children want. I remember when my daughters were in high school, they would pray to me. And um, I'm not going to tell you which one because it could be any of them, and it's all true for all of them. So I would go in in the morning and uh, wake up my daughter for school, and she would begin her prayers. Go away. <laughs> that was her prayer. <laughs> Leave me alone. I would rip off the covers, turn on the fan, go away, give me my covers, turn off the fan. And she would be praying and pleading with me, and I would hear her prayers and her cries, and, and I would think, that's not really what she wants. I know what she wants. And she's going, no, this is what I want. I don't want to go to school today. No, you do want to go to school today. And sometimes she would be praying with such passion and vigor that I would think she almost believes what she's saying, right? But she doesn't want that. How do I know she doesn't want me to leave her alone? How do I know she doesn't want to stay home from school, even though she thinks she wants to stay home from school? Because I know that she wanted one day to go to college. 
And a prerequisite for going to college is graduating from high school. And a prerequisite for graduating from high school is finishing ninth grade. And so, so because I know she wants to finish ninth grade, I know she wants to get up in the morning. And so I hear her prayers and I hear her cries, but I don't do what she asks. I do what she really wants. I do what she really wants. And that's what a father does, right? A father hears the cries of the children and he doesn't necessarily do exactly what they want because they don't know what they want. I'm sorry, ninth graders, you don't know what you want. You just don't. And, and so uh, what happens is a loving father hears the petitions and gives them what they truly want and what they truly need. When we come before God in prayer, we, we are not only assuming that his power is greater than ours. That's why we're praying, God, we need you to do something I can't do. I'm weak. But we're also assuming his wisdom is greater than ours. And so do we really want God to be held captive to my limited understanding of the world? Do I really want God to be limited to what I can think and what I can ask? Instead, Brian Chapel writes, we expect a God who's truly sovereign to answer our prayers in ways that are way beyond our wisdom. So we're, when we pray, we're not trusting that God's gonna do whatever we ask, that would be misplaced faith. Our faith is not in God doing what we tell him to do and following our every command. Our faith is in God loving us and doing what is right and caring for his children. So the spirit intercedes for us. He groans about us with the, for us with indescribable cries. And the good news is prayers are always answered. Verse 30, <clears throat> and those whom he called, he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you catch that, Christian? You know what the end of your story is? It's glory. It is glory. Because as you're praying and you're groaning, the Holy Spirit is groaning. And the Spirit and the Father and the Son will one day take away your groanings and there will be glory. Here's why we pray. We pray because we have a God who hears. We pray because we have a Father who loves. And we pray because we know that God one day is going to wipe away every tear and there'll be no more groaning. We pray this in hope. Let's pray right now. Our Father, we do thank you for the good news that through Jesus Christ, we have hope. Through Jesus Christ, we know that we are loved. And so, Lord, I look around this room, and even as I just see friends here in the sanctuary today, I, I know there's a lot of groaning going on. And there's much, much reason to be groaning. We hurt, we ache, we long. But, Lord, we thank you that you understand our pain, you've entered our suffering. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you groan with us. And we thank you one day you will make our salvation complete. And we look forward to that day when we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.